0: section seven of a brief history of forestry by bernard for this librivox recording is in the public domain germany six forest administration about the middle of the eighteenth century the recognition of the importance of forestry led to a severance of the forest and hunting interests and it became the practice to place the direction of the former into the hands of some more or less competent man a state forester, usually under the fiscal branch or treasury department of the general administration. Fully organized forest administrations in the modern sense, however, could hardly be said to have existed before the end of the Napoleonic Wars, 1815, which had undoubtedly retarded the peaceful development of this, as well as of other reforms." The present organization of the large Prussian Forest Department, in its present form, dates from 1820, when Hattisch instituted the division into provincial administrations, and differentiated them into directive, inspection, and executive services. The direction of the provincial management was placed in the hands of an Oberforstmeister, with the assistance of a number of Forstmeister, who acted mainly as inspectors each having his inspection district consisting of a number of ranges. For the ranges, 100,000 to 125,000 acres, were placed in charge of Oberförster, or Revierförster, who, with the assistance of several under-foresters, Förster, conducted the practical work. At first, only indifferently educated, these latter were allowed little latitude but with improvement in their education they became by degrees more and more independent agents. This tripartite system of directing, inspecting, and executive officers, after various changes in titles and functions, finally became practically established in all the larger German states, In some rather lately, as for instance in Bavaria, not until 1885, and in Württemberg in 1887." With this more stable organization the character and the status of the personnel changed greatly. The prior right of the nobility to the higher positions, which had lasted in some states until 1848, and the practice of making connection with military service a basis for appointment, were abolished. And instead of Cameralists, educated foresters came everywhere to the head of affairs. The lower service, which had been recruited from hunters and lackeys, and which was noted for its low social, moral, and pecuniary status, was improved in all directions. The change from incidentals in the way of fees and natural instead of money emolument for the lower-grade foresters, which had been the rule and still play a role even to date, to definite salaries and the salutary change of methods in transacting business, which Hottish introduced became general with the development and improvement of forestry schools the requirement of a higher technical education for positions in state service could be enforced yet only within the last twenty-five or thirty years has the ranking position of forest officers been made adequate and equalized with that of other public officials of equal responsibility and still later have their salaries been made adequate to modern requirement the central administration now lies in the hands of technical men oberland Forstmeister, with a council of technical deputies land Forstmeister, all of whom have passed through all the stages of employment from that of district managers up this central office or division of forestry is either attached to the department of agriculture or to that of finance and has entire charge of the question of personnel, direction of forest schools, of the forest policy of the administration, and the approval of all working plans, acting in all things pertaining to the forest service as a court of last resort. The working plans are made and revised by special commissioners in each case, or, as in Saxony, under the direction of a special bureau, with the assistance of the district manager upon the basis of the general working plan prepared by these commissions an annual plan is elaborated by the district managers with consultation and approval of the provincial and central administration these plans contain a detailed statement of all the work to be done through the year the cost of each item and the receipts expected from each source this annual working plan requires approval by the provincial administration which is constituted as a deliberative council, consisting of a number of Forstmeister with an Oberforstmeister as presiding officer. The titles of these officers, to be sure, and the details of procedure, vary somewhat in different states, but the system as a whole is more or less alike. The district manager, or Oberforster, now often called Forstmeister, has grown in importance and freedom of position, although his district has grown smaller, mostly not over 25,000 acres. And being one of the best-educated men in the country district, he usually holds the highest social position, although his emoluments are still moderate. He holds many offices of an honorary character, as, for instance, that of justice of the peace, and the position of state's attorney or public prosecutor in all cases of infraction of the forest laws. These forest laws are still largely local, i.e., state laws, although the criminal code of the empire has somewhat unified practice. Curiously enough, wood on the stump is still not considered property in the same sense as other things, so far as theft is concerned. The stealing of growing timber is not even called theft, the word used in the laws being frevel, tort and like other infractions against forest laws it is punished by a money fine more or less in proportion to the value of the stolen material or the damage suffered this money fine may be transmuted into imprisonment or forest labor but corporal punishment which still prevailed in the first decades of the century has been abolished wood-stealing was very general and rampant during the beginning of the century but improvement in the condition of the country population and in the number and personnel of the forest officers since 1850 has now reduced it to a minimum formerly and until 1848 the administrators and even the forest owners acted at the same time as prosecutor judge and executioner and only in 1879 was this condition everywhere and entirely changed and infractions against forest laws adjudged by regular courts of law holding meetings at stated times for the prosecution of such infractions nevertheless the court proceedings in forest matters still vary from the usual court practice providing a simpler cheaper and more ready disposal of testimony and witnesses and quicker retribution which is largely rendered possible through having every forest officer under oath as a sheriff and his statement and perhaps the confiscated tools employed in the theft being accepted as prima facie evidence of the infraction the social position of the under foresters and the forest protective service has also been improved until all charges of incompetency and immorality which were not undeserved even until past the middle of the nineteenth century have become reversed the forest service being morally on as high a plane as all the departments of german administrations Seven forest policy during the first half of the century the old conception of forsthoheit superior right of the princes to supervise and interfere with private property changed into the more modern conception of the police function of the state and by eighteen fifty after the revolutionary period the seniorage of the princes had passed away the issue of forest ordinances the last in eighteen forty was replaced by the enactment of forest laws, which, since the establishment of representative government, has become a function of legislatures. The tendency to restrict the exercise of private property rights had been assailed by the theories of laissez-faire and the teachings of Adam Smith, and, as a consequence, all the restrictive mandates of the older forest ordinances had been weakened and had more or less fallen into disuse especially the attempts to influence prices and markets had nearly if not entirely vanished during the first decade only for the state forest it was still thought desirable to predetermine wood prices or at least keep rates low because wood was a necessary material for the industries this theory prevailed until perhaps under the lead of hundeshagen see above the propriety of securing the highest soil rent was recognized as the proper aim when the practice of selling wood at auction in order to secure the best prices became the rule. The regulations regarding export and import between the different states, which had been enacted under the mercantilistic teachings of the last century, (see page 52, and the many tariffs which impeded a free exchange of commodities, lasted for a long time while into the 19th century, and were not all abolished until 1865, when under the lead of Prussia, the Northern German Federization instituted the Zollverein, Tariff Alliance, which abolished not only all tariffs between the states of the federation, but also tariffs on wood products against the outside world. Import duties were, however, again established in 1879, and the policy of protecting the established organized forest management against competition by importations from exploiting countries has been again and again recognized as proper in the revision of tariff rates and railroad freight rates on the government railroads during the first decades of the century the supply question was uppermost and although such men as Pfeil, 1816, laughed at the idea of a wood famine there was good reason prior to the development of railroads of coal-fields of iron and steel manufacturers etc for discussing with apprehension the area and condition of supply and the extent of the consumption nevertheless the attitude of the state toward private property was much more influenced by the economic theories than prevalent which taught the ideas of private liberty to which the french revolution had given such forcible expression with the change of municipal communities from mere associations with common material interests into units or parts of political or state machines Also independence in the management of their property was secured, and many of the old restrictions which had circumscribed this right fell away. Curiously enough, during the French domination under Napoleon, the new masters, forgetting the spirit of the revolutionary period, introduced the prescriptions of the old French Ordinance of 1669, which restricted the use of communal property to the extent of excluding the owners entirely from the management of their property. And placed it under government officers. After the French withdrew, this method of course collapsed, although it probably had an influence on the final shaping of forest policies in these respects. Altogether, there was such variety of historic development in the different parts of Germany that it is not to be wondered at that one finds a great variety of policies still prevailing not only in different states, but in different localities of the same state at the present time three different principles in the relations of the state to the corporation forests may be recognized namely entire freedom excepting so far as general police laws apply which is the case with most of the corporation forests in prussia law of eighteen seventy six special supervision of the technical management under approved officials with proper education which is the case in saxony most of bavaria the Prussian provinces of Westphalia, Rhineland, and Saxony, and in some of the smaller states, or lastly, the absolute administration by the state, which prevails in Baden, parts of Bavaria, provinces Hesse-Nassau, and Hanover. The tendency, however, in modern times appears to be toward a more strict interpretation of the obligation of the state to prevent mismanagement of the communal property." private forest property which during the preceding century had been largely under restrictions first under the application of the hunting right and then under the fear of a wood famine became in the first decades of the century under the influences already mentioned almost entirely free all former policies being reversed indeed prussia in eighteen eleven issued an edict ensuring absolutely unrestricted rights to forest owners permitting partition and conversion of forest properties, and even denying in such cases the right of inter- interference on the part of possessors of rights of users. This policy of freedom was also applied, although less radically, in Bavaria, except as to smaller owners. The result was, to a large extent, the increase of exploitation and forest devastation, creating wastes and setting shifting sand and sand dunes in motion. The reaction which set in against this unrestricted use of forest property resulted in Prussia, not in renewal of restrictive measures, but in the enactment of promotive ones. The Law of 1875 sought improvement by encouraging small owners to unite their properties under one management, but the expectations which were founded on this ameliorative policy seem so far not to have been realized this promotive policy has especially since eighteen ninety nine found expression in the institution in many provinces and information bureaus which give technical advice make working plans secure plant material and give other assistance to woodland owners a new relation however of a conservative character arose by the establishment of the entail i.e., a contract made by the head of the family with the government under which the latter assumes the obligation of forever preventing the heirs from disposing of, diminishing, or mismanaging their property. As a result of this arrangement, many of the larger private forest properties are forced to a conservative management, not as a direct influence of the law, but as a matter of agreement. The condition of the State supervision of private and communal forest property at present prevailing is expressed in the following statement of divisions by property classes of forest areas of Germany, which shows that at least sixty three point nine per cent are under conservative management: Total Forest: thirty four million seven hundred sixty nine thousand seven hundred ninety four acres, Crown Forest: one point eight per cent, State Forest: 31.9%, corporation forest, 16.1%, institute forest, 1.5%, association forest, 2.2%, private forest, including 10.4% entail, 46.5%. Until the beginning of the present century, the protective function of the forest had played no role in the arguments for state interference. But, just about the beginning of the century, cries were heard from France that, owing to the reckless devastation of the Vasquez and Jura Alps by cutting, by fires and overgrazing, brooks had become torrents, and the valleys were inundated and covered by the debris and silt of the torrents. A new aspect of the results of forest devastation began to be recognized, which found excellent expression in a memoir by Mureau de Jonas, Brussels, 1825, on the question what changes does denudation effect on the physical condition of the country this being translated into german by widemann was widely spread being interestingly written although not well founded on facts of natural history and physical laws nevertheless sufficient experience as regards the effect of denudation in mountainous countries had also accumulated in southwest germany and in the austrian alps and the necessity of protective legislation was recognized. This necessity first found practical expression in the Bavarian Law of 1852, in Prussia in 1875, and in Württemberg in 1879. But a really proper basis for formulating a policy or argument for protective legislation outside of the mountainous country is still absent, although for a number of years attempts have been made to secure such basis. 8. Forestry, Science, and Literature The necessarily brief statements which are made under this heading presuppose knowledge of the technical details to which they refer. In this short history, it was possible only to sketch rapidly the development of the science in terms familiar to the professional man. The habit of writing encyclopedic volumes, which the Cameralists and learned hunters had inaugurated in the preceding centuries, continued into the new one, and we find Hartisch, Kotta, Pfeil, and Hundeshagen each writing such encyclopedias. Karl Heyer began one in separate volumes, but completed only two of them. Even an encyclopedic work in monographs by several authors was undertaken as early as eighteen nineteen by J. M. Beckstein, who with his successors brought out fourteen volumes, covering the ground pretty fully. While in the earlier stages the meagre amount of knowledge made it possible to compress the whole into small compass, the more modern encyclopedias of Lorry, First, and Dombrowski arose from the opposite considerations, namely the need of giving a comprehensive survey of the large mass of accumulated knowledge. Since 1820, monographic writings, however, became more and more the practice, among the volumes which treat certain branches of forestry monographically, the works of the masters of silviculture, Cotta, Hattisch, and Heyer, based on their experiences in West and Middle Germany, and of Pfeil, referring more particularly to North German conditions, were followed by the South German writers Gewinne, 1834, and Stumpf, 1849. In 1855 H. Burckhardt, introduced in his classic Seine und Pflanzen a new method of treatment, namely by species, and after 1850, when the development of general silviculture had been accomplished, such treatment by species became frequent. Of more modern works on general silviculture elaborating the attempts at reform of old practices, those of Gea 1880, Wagner, 1884, Borgreve, 1885, Ney, 1885, all writing in the same decade are to be especially mentioned. In this connection should be also noticed first the valuable collective work on nursery practice. Pflanzenzucht im Walde, 1882. At present, the magazine literature furnishes ample opportunity to discuss the development of methods in all directions. The textbooks at present appearing seem to be justified by or intended mainly for the needs of the teacher and rarely for the practitioner. Such a textbook is that by Weise. But the latest contributions to silvicultural literature by Wagner, 1907, and Maier, 1909, are works of a new order, utilizing broader ecological knowledge. Other branches in silviculture were similarly first treated in comprehensive volumes, and then in monographic writings on special subjects of the branch. The literature on forest utilization, covering the whole field, was enriched especially by Pfeil, König, geyer and Fürst. The first investigation into the physical and technical properties of wood was conducted by G. L. Hattisch himself, followed by Theodore Hattisch, and the subject has been most broadly treated by H. Nerdlinger, 1860. In later years, Schwabach's investigations deserve special mention. The question of means of transportation gradually became also a subject capable of monographic treatment and a series of books came out on locating and building forest roads. Brown issued such a book in 1855 for the Plains Country, and Kaiser, 1873, for the Mountains. Also, Mülhausen, 1876, who had been commissioned to locate a perfect road system over the demonstration forest at the Forest Academy of Münden. Only within the last quarter of the century were railroads introduced into the economy of forest management. The last comprehensive book on the subject of logging railroads was issued by Furster, eighteen eighty five and a later one by Runenbaum Stutzer nineteen o three furnished in his compact style the latest discussion on the subject of roads and railroads. A very comprehensive literature on the value of forest litter was brought into existence by the established usage of small farmers of supplying their lack of straw for bedding and manure by substituting the litter raked from the forest. Hattisch and Hundeshagen were active in the discussion of this subject as well as almost every other forester, the discussion being, however, mainly based on opinions. But, after 1860, the subject became so important both to the poor farming population and to the forest, which was being robbed of its natural fertilizer, that a more definite basis for regulating its use was established by analysis and by experiments at the experimental stations with the inauguration of the various methods of forest organizations described before. There naturally went hand-in-hand the development of methods of measurement. Better forest surveys developed rapidly, the transit generally replacing the compass and plane table. At this period the necessity for books teaching the important methods of land survey was met by Barr, 1858, and by Kraft, 1865 this subject does no longer occupy a place in forestry literature the knowledge of it being taken for granted on the other hand the subject of forest mensuration which formerly was generally treated in connection with forest organization has developed into a branch by itself and has been very considerably developed in its methods and instruments making a tolerably accurate measurement of forest growth possible although many unsolved problems are still under investigation still late into the century it was customary to measure only circumferences of trees by means of a chain or band although an instrument for measuring diameters is mentioned by cotta in 1804 and by hartisch in 1808 Schöner and richter are in 1813 mentioned as inventors of the first universal forest measure or caliper the improvement of calipers to their modern efficiency has been carried on since 1840 by Karl and Gustav Heyer, and by many others until now self-recording calipers by Reuss, Wimmenauer, etc., have become practical instruments. For measuring the heights of trees, hosfelt had already a satisfactory instrument in 1800. A very large number of improvements in great variety followed, with Faustmann's mirror-hypsometer probably in the lead. As a special development for measuring diameters at varying heights, Pressler's instrument should be mentioned, and a very complicated but extremely accurate one constructed by Brehmann. Various formulas for the computation of the contents of felled trees had already been developed by Uthelt, and others in the 18th century, and a formula by Huber. Using the average area multiplied by length was definitely introduced in the Prussian practice in 1817. The names of Smalian, Hosfeld, Pressler, and others are connected with improvements in these directions. The idea of form factors and their use was first developed by Huber, who made three tree classes according to the length of crowns, measured the diameters six feet above ground, and used reduction factors of 0.75, 0.66, and 0.50 for the three classes— but the first formula for determining form-factors is credited to Hossfeld, 1812. Hundeshagen and Kernish also occupied themselves with elaborating form-factors. Smalleyan, 1837, introduced the conception of the normal or true form-factor relating it to the area at one-twentieth of the height. An entirely new idea has lately been introduced by Schiffel, in Austrian-German, under the name of form-quotient placing two measured diameters in relation volume tables giving the volumes of trees of varying diameters and height were already in use to some extent in the eighteenth century cotta gives such for beech in 1804 and in 1817 furnished a set of so-called normal tables which were however based upon the assumption of a conical form of the tree koenisch perfected volume tables by introducing further classification into five growth classes 1813 published volume tables for beech and other species and in 1840 published volume tables not for single trees but for entire stands per acre classified by species height and density using the so-called space number which he had developed in 1835 to denote the density it is interesting to note that these tables which he called Allgemeine Waldschutzungstaffeln, were made for the Imperial Russian Society for the Advancement of Forestry. In 1840, and succeeding years, the Bavarian government issued a comprehensive series of measurements and a large number of form factors, which were used in constructing volume tables. These were found to be so well made and so generally applicable that they were used in all parts of Germany and translated into meter measurement by BAME. 1872 are still generally in use although new ones based upon further measurements have been furnished by lorry and kunza for arriving at the volume of stands estimating was relied upon long into the 19th century although Hausfeldt in 1812 introduced measuring and the use of the formula ahf in which a was the measured total cross-sectional area of the stand h and f the height and form factors the latter being at that time still estimated. He first made form classes for the same heights, but in 1823 simplified the method by assuming an average form factor for the whole stand. Even in 1830 Koenig still estimated the form factor, although he introduced the measurement of the cross-section area and determined the height indirectly as an average of measurements of several height classes. But Huber, 1824, knew how to measure both the average height and form factor by means of an arithmetic simple tree. This method found entrance into the practice and held sway until about 1860, when the well-known improvements by Draut and Urisch supplanted it. These last-mentioned methods have become generally used in the practice, while other methods, like R. Hartish and Presslers, have remained mainly theoretical. The study of the increment of the making of yield tables, which had been inaugurated toward the end of the last century by Oettelt, Paulsen, Hottish, and others, was just at the end of that century placed upon a new basis through Spät, 1797, who constructed the first growth curves by plotting the cubic contents of trees at different ages, and through Sitter, 1799, by introducing stem analysis on which he based his yield tables. On the shoulders of these, Hossfeld, 1823, built when he conceived the idea of using sample plots for continued observation of the progress of increment, and he also taught the method of interpolation with limited measurements, laying the basis for quite elaborate formulae. But the first normal yield tables based on the average trees of an index stand were published by Huber, 1824, and in the same year by Hundeshagen. From that time on, yield tables were constructed by many others, but only since the experiment stations undertook to direct their construction is the hope justified of securing this most invaluable tool of forest management in reliable and sufficiently detailed form. Even the newest tables are, however, still deficient, especially in the direction of detailed information regarding the division into assortments. The yield tables of Bauer, weisse lorry and others are now superseded by those of schwappach for pine and spruce and schuberg for fir as a result of the many yield tables which gradually accumulated the laws of growth in general became more and more cleared up and finally permitted their formulation as undertaken by r weber forst einrichtung eighteen ninety one the idea of using the percentic relations for stating the increment, and of estimating the future growth upon the basis of past performance for single trees, was known even to Hattish, 1795, and Kotta, 1804, who published increment percent tables. The methods of making the measurements of increment on standing trees were especially elaborated by Kurnish, Karl, Edward, and Gustav Heyer, Schneider, his formula, 1853, Jaeger, Borgreve, and especially by Pressler, 1860, who opened new points of view and increased the means of studying increment by causing the construction of the well-known increment Borer, and in other ways. The most modern textbook which treats fully of all modern methods of forest mensuration, giving also their history, is that of Udo Müller, Lehrbuch der Holzmeskunde, 1899, superseding such other good ones as those of Bauer. 1816-1882, to 1882, Kunze, 1873, Schwabach short handbook, last edition, 1903. The many sales of forest property which took place at the beginning of this period naturally stimulated the elaboration of methods of forest valuation. Even the soil rent theory finds its basis at the very beginning, 1799, in a published letter by two otherwise unknown foresters, Bein, and Eber, who proposed to determine the value of a forest by discounting the value of the net yield with a limited compound interest calculation to the 120th year. This idea was elaborated in 1805 by Nerdlinger and Hossfeld into the modern concept of expectancy values, and the now familiar discount calculations were inaugurated by them. Coulter and Hartisch, participated also in the elaboration of methods of forest valuation. Cotta, writing his manual in 1804, recognizes the propriety of compound interest calculations, while Hartish, 1812, still uses only simple interest and exhibits in his book as well as in his instructions for practice in the Prussian state forests, rather mixed notions on the subject. Altogether, even in the earlier part of the period, there arose considerable differences of opinion in warm discussions, in which all the prominent foresters took part, as to the use of interest rates and methods of calculation. But this warfare broke into a red-hot flame when Faustmann, 1849, with much mathematical apparatus, developed his formula for the soil expectancy value, and when Pressler and G. Haia transferred the discussion into statical fields, making the question of the financial rotation the issue. Then, the advocates of the soil rent and of the forest rent theories ranged themselves in opposite camps. This war of opinion, although abated in fervor, still continues and the issue is by no means settled. The discussion of what should be considered the proper felling age or rotation naturally occupied the minds of foresters from early times. A maximum volume production being originally the main aim. As early as 1799, Sutter had recognized the fact that the culmination of volume production had been obtained when the average accretion had culminated. Hartish, in 1808, made the distinction of a physical and economical and a mercantilistic, i.e. financial felling age, and Pfeil, considerably ahead of his time, is the first to call 1820, for a rotation based on maximum soil rent. As, however, he had so often done he changed his mind, and while he first advocated even for the state a management for the highest interest on the soil capital involved, he later rejected such money management. About the same time, Hundeshagen clearly pointed out the propriety and proper method of basing the rotation on profit calculations— but it was reserved for a man not a forester to stir up the modern strife for the proper financial basis namely pressler a professor of mathematics at tarrant who became a sharp critic of existing forest management and developed to the extreme the net yield theories it was then that the danger of a shortening of the existing rotations due to the apparent truth that long rotations were unprofitable Called for a division into the two camps alluded to. G. Heyer, Judeich, and Lehr elaborated especially the mathematical methods of the soil rent theory. Kraft and Wegener came to the assistance of Pressler, while Burkhardt, Boza, Bauer, Borgreve, Donkelmann, Fischbach, and others pleaded for a different policy for the state at least, namely the forest rent with the established rotations. As in the previous period, The mathematical subjects, namely forest measurement and forest valuation, were more systematically developed than the natural history basis of forestry practice, the slower progress of the latter being caused by the greater difficulties of studying natural history and of utilizing direct observation. In botanical direction, descriptive forest botany was first developed, and several good books were published by Walter, Borkhausen, Beckstein, Reum. The latter eighteen fourteen, of high value and also by Balin, Gwina, and Hottish. In the direction of plant physiology, Kota, early and creditably, attempted eighteen oh six to explain the movement and function of sap, but remained unnoticed. Meyer's eighteen oh five to eighteen oh eight essay on the influence of the natural forces on the growth and nutrition of trees, contains interesting physiological explanations for advanced silvicultural practice but these sporadic attempts to secure a biological basis were soon forgotten. Not until Theodor Hattish, 1848, published his Anatomy and Physiology of Woody Plants, was the necessity for exact investigation of forest biology, as a basis for silvicultural practice, fully recognized. With the development of general biological botany or ecology, a new era for silviculture seems to have arrived. Perhaps in this connection there should be mentioned as one of the earlier important contributions of much moment G. Heyer's Verhalten der Bäume gegen Licht und Schatten, 1856, in which the theory of influence of light and shade on forest development was elaborated. Among those who place the study of pathology of forest trees on a scientific basis should be mentioned first Willkomm, 1876, followed by R. Hottish. In zoology, the early writers began with a description of the biology of game animals next interest in forest insects became natural and in 1818 beckstein in his encyclopedia devoted one volume by Schaffenberg to the natural history of obnoxious forest insects toward the middle of the century with the planting of large areas with single species insect pests increased Hence the interest in life histories of the pests grew, and gave rise to the celebrated work by Ratzeburg, Die Waldbewerber und ihre Feinde, 1841. A number of similar handbooks on insects and on other zoological subjects followed. The latest, the most complete work on insects, being still based on Ratzeburg's work, is that of Judike und Nietzsche, in two volumes, 1895. Of course, the general works on forest protection always included chapters on forest entomology. The first of these textbooks on forest protection was published by La Rope, 1811, and others by Beckstein, Pfeil, Kauschinger, and recently by Hess, 1896, and first, 1889. Knowledge of the Soil was but poorly developed in the encyclopedic works of the earlier part of the period, not till liebig's epoch-making investigations was a scientific basis secured for the subject then became possible the improvements in the contents of such works as grebe 1886 senft 1888 and of gustav Hayer, whose volume lehrbuch der Forstlichen bodenkunde und klimatologie 1856 well records the state of knowledge at the time but only since then has this field been worked with more scientific thoroughness by ebermeier schroeder weber Volney, and by romann whose volume on bodenkunde eighteen ninety three may be still considered the standard of the present day newest edition nineteen ten the question of the climatic significance of forests is one which first became recognised as capable of solution by scientific means When the movement for forest experimentation began to take shape and the systematic collecting of observed data was attempted, most of the problems are still unresolved. With the aspects of political economy, in reference to forest policy, the foresters had occupied themselves but little, leaving the shape of public opinion to the Cameralists, whose influence lasted long into the century. These produced a good deal of literature in the early years of the century when the question of retaining or selling state forests was under discussion, and, under the influence of the teachings of Adam Smith, their opinion was mostly favorable to sale. Only gradually was the propriety of the state forests recognized by them, till finally the leading economists, Rao, Roche, and Wagner, took a decided stand in favor of this view." The foresters, naturally, were for retention of the existing state properties, but one-sided mercantilistic views regarding their administration persisted with them till modern times. Venekind, as early as 1821, advocated the theory which is now becoming a practice, that the state should not only retain, but increase its present forest property by purchase of all absolute forest soil for the purpose of reforestation. The erratic and radical file alone was found with the Cameralists on the opposite side in 1816, but by 1834 he had entirely gone over to the side of the advocates of state forest, declaring anyone who opposed them fit for the lunatic asylum. Division of opinions existed also regarding the supervision by the state of private and communal forests. The political economists were inclined to reduce the foresters to increase supervision, accepting again Pfeil in his earlier writings. He modified his views later by recognizing supervision as a necessary evil. Cotta, who was inclined to favor free use of forest property, sought to meet the objections to such free use by increasing the state property. The main incentive urged by the early advocates of state supervision was the fear of a timber famine. This argument vanished, however, with the development of railroads, and was then supplanted by the argument of the protective functions of the forest a classification into supply forests and protective forests suggesting differences of treatment nevertheless the belief that absolute freedom of property rights in the forest is not in harmony with good political economy a belief correct because of the long time element involved still largely prevails the difficulty however of supervising private ownership and the advantages of state ownership find definite expression in the policy which Prussia especially is now following, in acquiring gradually the mismanaged private woodlands and impoverished farm areas for reforestation, making annual appropriations to this end. Many other states are also beginning to see the propriety of this movement. On the whole, the systematic study of the economics of forestry has been rather neglected by foresters. Although the subject was discussed by early writers, Meyer, Lorope, File and in modern times by R. Weber, Lehr und and Schwabach. Forstpolitik, 1894. The latest comprehensive volume on this subject comes from Andres, 1905. 9. Means of advancing forestry science. During the century, the means of increasing knowledge in forestry matters have grown in all directions, Schools, associations, journals, and prolific literature attesting the complete establishment of the profession and practice. The master schools, which began to take shape at the end of the last century, and a number of which were found in the beginning of the century as private institutions, were usually either of short duration or were changed into state institutions. They became either middle schools for the lower service or else academies. For the higher education the chairs of forestry at the universities continued to do service as at heidelberg gießen leipzig berlin etc but as these were mostly occupied by camerales although hartish in eighteen eleven filled a chair at berlin and were intended for the benefit of such rather than of professional foresters the education of the latter was somewhat neglected most of the existing institutions had their beginnings in private schools both these and the state schools passed through many changes the first high-class forestry academy was established at berlin directly by the state in eighteen twenty one in connection with the university here pfeil was the only professor of forestry subjects the other subjects being taught by other university professors the fact that in the absence of railroads a demonstration forest was not easily accessible and perhaps the friction between pfeil and Hartish brought about a transfer to Neustadt Eberwald in 1830, with two professors till 1851, when a third professor was added, now 16, with eight assistants. At the same time, the lectures at Berlin were continued by Hartisch until 1837. In Saxony, Cotta's private school became a state institution in 1816, the Forest Academy of Tarrant, with six teachers, now 13, and later, in 1830, an agricultural school was added to it. In Bavaria, a private school was begun in 1807 at Aschaffenburg. It was made a state institution divided into higher and lower school in 1819, but was closed in 1832 on account of interior troubles and inefficiency. It was reopened and reorganized in 1844 with four teachers, and was intended to prepare for the lower grades of the service meanwhile the lectures at the university of munich supplementing this lower school were to serve for the education of the higher grades a reorganization took place in eighteen seventy eight when a special faculty for forestry was established at munich with gustav heyer as head professor this was done after much discussion which is still going on throughout the empire as to the question whether education in forestry was best obtained at a university or at a special academy The present tendency is toward the former solution of the question, since railroad development has removed the main objection, namely, the difficulty of reaching a demonstration forest. Nevertheless, Prussia retains its two forest academies, Eberswald and Münden, since 1868, for the education of its forest officials, the other state academies being at Tarrant and Eisenach, while chairs of forestry are found at the universities of Tübingen, since 1817, Gießen, since 1831, and Munich, and for Baden at the Polytechnicum in Karlsruhe, 1832. For the lower grades of forest officials, there are also schools established by the various governments, three in Prussia, five in Bavaria. In 1910, the school at Aschaffenburg was discontinued and the entire education of foresters for Bavaria left to the university. Although as early as 1820, Hundeshagen had insisted upon the necessity of exact investigation to form a basis for improved forest management, and especially for forest statics. And although in 1848 Karl Heyer elaborated the first instruction for such investigations which he expected to carry on with the aid of practitioners, the apathy of the latter, and the troublesome times prior to 1850, retarded this powerful means of advancing forestry. During the decade from 1860 to 1870, however, the movement for the formation of experiment stations took shape. The first set being instituted in Saxony, 1862, by establishing nine stations for the purpose of securing forest meteorological data. The next in Prussia, in 1865, to solve the problems of the removal of litter. And in Bavaria, 1866, also for the study of forest meteorology by Ebermeier, and of the problem of thinnings. But not until Bauer, 1868, had pointed out more elaborately the necessity of systematic investigations, and a plan for such had been elaborated by a committee instituted by the German Foresters Association, was a system of experimentation as organized in modern times, secured in 1872. The various states established independently such experiment stations, but at the same time a voluntary association of these stations was formed for the purpose of coordinating and planning the work to be done forestry associations instituted merely for the purpose of propaganda were apparently not organized the first association of professional foresters appears to have been formed as the result of beckstein's conception who proposed in connection with his school seventeen ninety five at golta eighteen hundred at dreisikage the formation of an academy of noted foresters as a result, the Societe der Forst und Jagdkunde was formed, in which all the noted foresters joined with much enthusiasm, and in 1801 a membership of 81 regular and 61 honorary members was attained. At the same time, the official organ Diana was founded, 1797, in which the essays of the members were to be printed, after having passed four censors. Two sessions were to be held annually. This much too elaborate plan for, then, rather undeveloped education and deficient means of transportation, defeated to some extent the great object. But 1812, it was thought necessary to divide the academy at least into a northern and southern section, and for the latter, an additional journal, edited by La Rope, was instituted. The interest, however, decreased continually, and by 1843, at Beckstein's death, the academy was abandoned. At the same time, there had sprung up a number of local associations in the modern sense the first in eighteen twenty composed of the foresters and agriculturalists of nassau the next in eighteen thirty nine of the foresters of baden and by eighteen sixty nine such local societies of foresters were in existence and they have since increased rapidly until now some thirty may be counted the desire to bring these local associations into relation with each other led to the first forestry congress in eighteen thirty seven congress der land und Forstwirte, meeting at dresden at that time and in the congresses following the agriculturalists played a reading part so that in eighteen thirty nine the south german foresters separated and peripatetic congresses were held every one or two years in eighteen sixty nine a general organization was determined upon and in eighteen seventy two the first general german congress of foresters met holding yearly meetings thereafter A rival association having been organized in 1897, two years later, an amalgamation of the two was effected in the Deutscher Forstverein, now over 2,000 members. The most striking feature of this forceful means of advancing forestry is the institution of the Volkswirtschaftrat, 1890, a permanent committee of about 50 members, which is to look after the political and economic interests of forestry, forming a semi-official national council. There also exists an international association of forest experiment stations. The magazine literature, the Camerales, dominated until the 18th century. The first journal edited by a forester was Reiter's Journal for Först und Jagdwesen, which ran from 1790 to 1797. During the first part of the century, many others were started, especially after 1820, usually failing soon for lack of support. Hartish himself participated in this literature with five volumes, until 1807, of Journal de Forst, Jagd und Fischereiswesen, and later, 1816-1820, with the semi-official journal Forst und Jagdarchiv. Files, kritische Blätter, were continued by him from 1823 to 1859, when Nerdlinger had the editorship till 1870. An irregular publication of much note was Burckhardt's, aus dem Walde, 1865-1881. Some of the journals founded in earlier times have continued, with changes in title and editorships, to the present day. Of these, it is proper to mention as the oldest Allgemeine Forst- und Zeitung, founded by von Behlen, 1825, later conducted by G. Heyer. Forstwissenschaftliches Zentralblatt, 1828, Zeitschrift für Forst- und Jagdwesen, founded in 1869 by Donkelmann, forstliche Blätter, founded 1861 by Grunert, continued by Borgrever until 1890. The Tarante forstliche Jahrbücher were begun in 1842 and the Mundener forstliche Hefte in 1892. In 1893, the forstliche Naturwissenschaftliche Zeitschrift was established to discuss mainly the biological basis of forestry, changed in 1903 to Naturwissenschaftliche Zeitschrift für Land und Forstwesen. For the lower grades, there has been published, since 1872, Zeitschrift der Deutschen Forstbeamten. Several lumber trade journals also discuss forestry matters. A weekly journal, Silva, was begun in 1908. To assist in keeping track of the historic and scientific development of the art, an annual summary of magazine literature is being published. The first effort in this direction was made in 1876 by Bernhardt's Chronik des deutschen Forstwesens which was continued for several years but is now supplanted by Jahresbericht über die Leistungen und Fortschritte der Forstwirtschaft since 1880 besides this more scientific magazine literature pocket books and calendars have been published from early times The regular annual appearance of the latter, giving detailed statistics, personalia, tables useful in the practice, etc., dates from 1851. With the accomplishment of the unity of the empire in 1871, with the establishment of the experiment stations and their association in 1872, and with the organization of the Society of German Foresters, which dates from the same year, a new and most active era in the development of forestry science may be recognized the tendency of which is to lift the art out of the shackles of empiricism and place it on a more scientific basis. End of section seven. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.